Hey everyone, welcome to Mark My Words, the only podcast for independent paint and hardware retailers. I'm your host, Mark Lipton. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hey everyone, it's Mark. Uh, thanks for joining me today. I have a really, really special episode for you guys today. Uh, you know, I had been wanting to uh, record something uh, with my daughter, uh, Miranda Buckwheat, to you guys. Uh, I'd been wanting to record something for a while and, and it just hasn't been able to work out. Uh, she's home and she's been home during the course of this quarantine, but Home for a 22-year-old, even during a quarantine, doesn't necessarily mean that they're available. And and I've been uh, very busy working on all the different projects that I've been working on. And so we haven't been able to do it until tonight. Uh, we were able to make some time after dinner and uh, very handy to have her right here in the house. So I, I won't keep you any longer. Uh, so enjoy a half an hour or so with, with uh, me and my daughter, Buckwheat, and, and we are talking e-commerce. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. Very special guest with me today. Uh, through my blogs, I've, I've brought you all into my living room uh, and you've gotten a chance to meet my daughter, Buckwheat Miranda uh, is her real name. Miranda Buckwheat is the only person alive who ever said that they were gonna work on being a better vegetarian while eating a meatball. Buckwheat, what's going on? It's true, that is me. Yes, and I just want you to tell everybody, Buck, because it's true that I get asked often, are those stories about Buckwheat, are those stories about Guy, are they exaggerated or are they made up? And so this is my opportunity. Tell the truth. You've been well-raised. Tell the truth. Okay, well, I would say they're a little twisted. What? A personal opinion. That's the part know. that's going to get edited out. And you can you, you can <laughs> say it again, that they're all truthful and not exaggerated in the slightest. No way. <laughs> well, I don't blame you for, for not wanting to admit it. And so be mm -hmm. before we get into it, I actually scripted a couple of things because I have a few things on my mind that I want to share with the listeners. Uh, but before we get into that, why don't you tell me what's going on with you these days? Well... I am upstairs. I've been upstairs for about the past few months, um, job searching, working on moving out and about to go on a camping trip starting tomorrow. Very nice. And where are you planning on moving out to? I know that it could change by the day. We're recording this on a Thursday. So t today, Thursday at 8.59 p.m., where are you planning on going? Right now it's Austin. We'll see what tomorrow brings. Austin, Texas. And, yeah. and when are you planning on leaving? Because this would be news to me, too, actually. So you might as well break it to me here. Yeah, I, I don't have the answers on that one yet. Okay. All righty. Well, when you get to it, you'll let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll blog it out for you. All right. Sounds good. And so let's get right to it. But, or before we get right to it, uh, is there one story that you want to tell everybody? Is there one opportunity? This is it. I write about you every week. I tell every paint dealer in America about about 25% of the stupid crap that you have a tendency to do. So, uh, so this is your opportunity uh, to get back at me. Anything you want to say? Yeah, actually there is. Um, thank you so much for this opportunity. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty fitting that I'm going camping tomorrow because it reminded me of <laughs> oh, this no. great lesson that you taught. 
You should not tell this story, Buckwheat. It's not fair for you to tell this story. This is not the one I was thinking of when I said you could tell one story. Oh, no. Yeah, so I really learned through all of our camping trips how to cook and survive in the wilderness. And something I'll remember for this weekend is when we were camping, um, maybe five, ten years ago, I don't know, but we had some delicious leftover pizza and we were trying to figure out how to warm it up. So you decided to put pizza on top of the cardboard box, on top of the fire pit, and we just sat back and watched our beautiful leftovers glow up in flames. You know what's funny? When I think about that, I think back and I remember making holes in the knife, in the cardboard with the knife, thinking this will work. I remember I thinking this will work. Yep. I didn't question it, but now I know. Yeah. And the the funniest part of that whole that whole night to me was was actually what you said. I don't even know if you remember, but what you said as the smoldering box turned into, uh, you, you know, just sky licking flames with the pizza just dripping all over it. And you looked at me and said, What's your plan for getting that out? <laughs> I do remember yes. that. <laughs> so I thought we would try and turn the tables back to a paint conversation. I see you writing and talking about paint nonstop. What exactly are you doing? Well, uh, I have a few things going on right now. Uh, you know, I have that uh, job in Austin, that inspection job going on in Austin, which is this is my either fifth or sixth summer with them. Uh, it's a fairly big budget this year, about one hundred and twenty-five or thirty thousand uh, dollars that they're spending, maybe a little bit more. And so we do that all in a very short period of time, maybe five or six weeks. And so it's very compressed and it takes a lot of my time. And when you see me leaving the house these days, generally speaking, that's where I'm going. Uh, you know, I'm doing a lot of blogging, uh, I'm doing a lot of podcasting. I'm still doing uh, two blogs a week, Mondays and Thursday. Generally, I write them a, a couple of days in advance, but I do like to keep them fresh. And so it puts a little pressure uh, on me as we get close to deadline because I don't, I don't really want to write them weeks in advance. I'm doing a, a fair amount of podcasting. I've got, you know, that one consulting gig going on. And of course, uh, you know, the thing that's really taking up most of my time and attention and, and most of my interest is, you know, it's just off the charts for this project. And that's the revolution e-commerce. Of course. Yes, I know. I know, know you're hearing. Revolution. Yeah, we, kn we know you're hearing a lot about that these days. Yes, definitely. So, why why e-commerce why is this the revolution you know for for me it started out actually through sort of my typical advocacy for retailers it, it did not start out as a commercial venture which obviously it's it's sort of morphed into uh you know i got asked to help a dealer to put one of these together uh, and put it in place a website and an e-commerce uh, at a time that the CEO just just didn't have time to tune into it, and I, I found myself uh, learning a lot, and and 
you know, part of the way through the project, it occurred to me that that this is something that every retailer could benefit from. Uh, and so we, I named it the revolution uh, because, you know, revolutions bring big changes. And, and that's what my websites and e-commerce packages are, are going to do. And the biggest change is that the revolution e-commerce is being designed to put the dealer in charge. And, and so by that, I mean, uh, these systems won't just support dealers looking to grow their sales or grow their profitability through e-commerce. These systems are designed to help support and grow your brick and mortar as well by driving both sales and efficiencies. And so it's, it's not just a, so many dealers, they, they want to know, just they focus on the, the one side of it is how much more business am I going to bring in? And of course, the answer is plenty. And of, of course, that should be the most important thing that you think about when you're talking about an investment in growing your business like this. But these systems bring more than just growth of sales. They bring efficiencies. And anytime a machine or a system of software can handle a whole or any part of a transaction that a dealer does on a regular basis, they can save money. And so, for example, I remember when I had my stores, uh, I always used to think, geez, we're spending a fortune every time we make a delivery. And it's not just uh, the cost of the delivery. It's how many people are handling things. It's how many times we had to call the customer to arrange it. It's all the different uh, little component pieces and each one of those has expense associated with it. And so dealers that use these systems, for example, to integrate their uh, transportation system or their uh, uh, making their own deliveries, whether they do it themselves or sending it out, they're going to find fewer hands touching that and fewer hands touching that means fewer, you know, fewer costs. Mm -hmm. Well, sounds like a revolution to me. No doubt. So is there anything about the system that you're particularly excited about something that maybe dealers aren't thinking about yet? You know, that's a good question, Buck. I'm always surprised by how much these systems can do. And as I'm learning, I'm, I'm figuring out that they can do even more uh, than, than what they're being set up to do initially. You know, these systems are only limited really uh, to the extent that they are limited by, by what's possible on a website. And so long as people keep expanding the definition of what is possible on a website, then what is possible with these systems uh, will continue to expand. And, and that catches me off guard. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I think that uh, retailers are maybe not realizing just yet, but I think that they will in a few years, is just how big of a part of their business this is about to become. And, and for the smart retailers uh, out there that integrate this and then look at it as more of a, a, a tool that they're fully engaged with rather than just something they're dropping on their business and then they're going to ignore and go back to selling paint. But if you fully engage with this system, you're going to find that this system can solve problems within your business. And, and so I think, you know, I've had some of those conversations with retailers about how a system like this can solve a problem in terms of how many deliveries they're handling, or how a system like this could solve the problem of, of how their uh, decorators and designers are still stuck uh, because nobody wants to let them in the house because of the uh, COVID pandemic. 
And as I get into those conversations, I'm always amazed by ways that we can think of that we can use this website to fix that issue that we happen to be speaking about at that moment. And I think that that's just because of, of the opportunity is so enormous because these systems can become uh, you know, so omnipresent in all aspects of your business. I think that retailers are always surprised to hear me say that. And so one of the other things that, that retailers are always surprised when, uh, uh, when we talk about these, and you know, you hear me talking about this three, five, eight times a day. One of, the, one of the things that retailers are always surprised at is that I'm telling them they should be not just uh, embracing e-commerce and putting on a website with e-commerce, they should in fact be driving sales to their e-commerce. And the reason to drive sales to e-commerce, and we kind of touched on it a few minutes ago with deliveries, the more of the transaction that the system takes care of for you, then the less expense and overhead associated with, uh, uh, with running your, than, than you'll have in running your stores. And so take, for example, a customer comes into your store and right now they, uh, you know, if let's say it's a DIY customer and they come in and they're looking for inspiration, they walk over to your color rack, they select a color, you know, they spend a few minutes there, what have you, they look at the various charts that you have there. And then they turn around to your counter and, and you have to have a person standing there right at that moment when they want to select their can of paint, you need to have a person standing there right at that moment to be ready for them. And that person needs to uh, be prepared uh, to give a, a quick lesson uh, on paint and to, and to have all of the characteristics of, of, of the paint that the consumer may want right at the tip of their head. And so that becomes like a specialty. And so dealers have to pay people for that kind of quality uh, of their work for a good counter person like that. And, and you have to pay them whether or not the customer comes in or not, right? They have to, it's a retail store. And that's, that's one of the great inefficiencies of retail that, that I think that dealers aren't recognizing when they think of these systems. A lot of that goes away. And the reason it goes away is that the website doesn't care what time you get online. The website doesn't care how long it takes you to complete the sale. So the website is very happy for you to sit down at your computer on the couch at nine o'clock and go through the inspiration on Monday and, and footnote a couple of colors, maybe put a few things in the cart or save a few favorites or something like that, and then put it down and come back a week from Monday. And the system's quite happy with that. It doesn't get, it doesn't get bored. It doesn't tap its foot. It doesn't leave to go answer a phone call, leaving the customer alone. The system is right there, always ready to support the customer. And so when the customer comes back right at that moment, and now it happens to be Tuesday morning at 2 a.m. and everybody on your staff is asleep, and that customer wants to come back into your store and complete that sale, now you've got a problem. But with e-commerce, you don't. So long as you've put up a system that does what I feel is it, for the most important part of the e-commerce aspect of these packages, so long as you put up a system that gives the customer uh, a path to purchase that is efficient and also recognizable and comfortable to them, 
So it has to work a little bit uh, like uh, uh, like it would in your store. And and I'm not going to get into some of the ways that we're doing that uh, here on this podcast because listen, we've got competitors. There are other people coming into this space. Uh, there's a number of companies uh, out there in the market right now that are try- trying desperately to drive the price of these systems lower and lower and lower. And, and I've seen some, you can get into uh, uh, some of these systems now for probably all net after uh, after some cooperative advertising, you can get into these systems for just a few thousand dollars. But e-commerce for a few thousand dollars is not going to do for you what this system can do for you. And, and so to be able to give DIY customers, professional customers, a recognizable path to purchase, whether they need inspiration or they know what they want, they're handled in the way that they think uh, that they are expecting to be handled, that they're used to being handled uh, by your stores. And so that's a really, really uh, important part of this that I think that retailers aren't recognizing is that it really, it's not that it makes more sales, uh, it, it, it expands everything which makes more sales. So it expands the hours that you're open which makes more sales. It expands the, the footprint uh, of service that you can offer to your consumers, which makes more sales. It expands by using efficiencies and integrating with, pardon me, integrating with, uh, let's say, trucking companies or local delivery companies. It expands the area that your brick and mortar can cover. And that makes more sales. So it's not that the system, it's not that e-commerce is creating more sales. What's really creating all of these sales is the robust websites that are driving business to your stores and driving business uh, to your e-commerce on your website. And and that's what dealers uh, really need to be thinking about is, is building a tool that's significant enough to grow your sales by making you bigger. And, and, and there's one other thing that, that's so interesting to me about this as I'm putting this together. And, and you know me, I'm, I'm always thinking about tomorrow, right? If, if, if we're thinking about something at 30,000 feet, I always want to talk about it at 40,000 feet. I always like the perspective of the long view. That's just who I am. And so... Yeah. Selling, selling a paint store or selling your paint business, which is something that, listen, unless you're planning on living forever or unless you're planning on transitioning a business at no cost to a member of your family, selling your business uh, is, a, is a reality for uh, most of us. And, and that's unfortunate because right now, and I've recently had this experience, you remember going through it with me, uh, right, right now, selling a paint store is, is not a fun experience. I remember going through it. And um, why was it so difficult? Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's a tough business model for starters, right? And so the business model is a little messed up. It requires a very large investment in equipment and a large investment in machinery. And all of that stuff depreciates instantly. And so I was speaking to a, a retailer the other day and, and he's got, uh, I think he said he had 10 stores or eight or eight or 10 stores. And, and we were talking about equipment. And, and so I said to him, well, how much do you have? I'm, I'm guessing it was around 500,000. And he said, yeah, that's about right. 
And and I felt bad for the guy because when he goes to sell his business, that five hundred thousand dollars is worthless. We had we had oh I don't I don't remember, but fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars worth of equipment when we sold our stores, we we got literally nothing for it. And and I frankly got what what I feel uh, like is a is a better deal than most because of you know I, I I knew the person who was buying my store and we had a relationship and and so the business model itself I've always felt is is part of the problem, but even beyond that, uh, you know independent uh, paint retailer independent paint dealers and but small businesses in general, not just paint they have a tendency to be very dependent on the owner or at least that uh, uh, prospective buyers have the feeling that uh, they're dependent on the owner. The owner is the face of the franchise. They're the face behind the counter. And so a buyer is thinking, you know, uh, uh, are customers going to stay with me if this face leaves? And that's a fair question. You know, in the case of of, uh, our business, we did lose business when, uh, you know, your papa transitioned the business to me in around 1995 or so, whenever that was. We did, the business did change dramatically. What were some of the most significant changes that you remember from that time? You know, uh, your papa had a very different way of doing business than I did, right? Some some people, not n- no two dealers are the same. And so Papa had a tendency uh, to do business with his charm. And, and people loved Papa. Uh, you know, you know him, obviously. So you know the stories uh, about him. And, and I didn't really have that. And, and so uh, not to imply that, you know, I'm not a nice person or anything. I'm sure some people like me. I, I like to think at least you like me anyway. And all right, there you go. So that's a half right there. And, mm-hmm. and, and so some customers just didn't want to transition from Billy to Mark. And, and then other things that along those same lines, some customers that, that dad had had for, you know, that Papa had had for so many years, just, pardon me, just didn't fit the model uh, that I was looking for in customers. And so I had to let some of them go. And so just in that short time, after the business transitioned from Papa to me, it was a very, very different business. And so for us, it was okay. It was family and he was always available to me. And, and, and so we were able to make the best out of it and, you know, grow the business from there and we succeeded. But in reality, at that transition point, when those changes are going on with a new owner that's not a member of the family, there's a lot of potential for failure there. And so what happens is people reduce the price that they're willing to pay for a paint store to offset uh, some of those uh, prospective failures. And, And so they're not willing to pay as much basically for sales. And how does e-commerce change that? I mean, e-commerce is is very different. First off, the the sales are anonymous. So the argument that uh, this business can't go on without the uh, without the owner, it's it's somehow a different business without the owner. That argument goes away. That obstacle goes away because a retailer doing a million dollars a year through a website probably doesn't know any of the customers, and vice versa. Right. Those customers are, are buying anonymously from a website. And and so that that alone uh, is a very significant uh, uh, obstacle, which is taken out of the way. And at the very least, 
it gives the outgoing retailer something to talk about in the negotiation. It moves the leverage a little bit uh, in the direction of the outgoing retailer. But the other thing that's that's different is that unlike paint stores, which have a tendency to be difficult to understand from a financial uh, perspective, websites are different. Websites which show a they they that can show a steady flow of income and profitability, they can be sold as part of an exit strategy because they're more of a known quantity. And so as dealers walk out the door, they'll get more from an incoming buyer because the incoming buyer will be able to understand that there is less risk uh, associated with buying this business because it's so much of it is going through a website. The reporting will be more accurate, which will give them more confidence. Uh, and they'll have a much better understanding of the business, which will of course give them most uh, more confidence. And the big thing, of course, is, you know, no different than anything else, pricing for paint stores is, is determined by supply and demand, right? And, and so had, had my stores had uh, uh, 50 retailers standing outside of them with suitcases full of money saying, Mark, please sell it to me, then I wouldn't have had to uh, dispose of them effectively the way that I did. And, and, and so the idea would be, if you want to try to get money at the exit, the idea would be to try to create some sort of additional demand. And a website is a fabulous way to do that. And, and, and there's a number of reasons why. Uh, some of them we just talked about, but it, here's the big one, is it opens up the pool of potential buyers. And the more potential buyers you have, then the higher the price is that you're going to get for your sales. When you are selling a website that you've owned for five, 10 years, and it's doing you know, a strong business that's continuing to grow, that's your brand. And that's, that's, your asset. When I tell dealers, this is your brand, you are the brand. What I'm saying is you are the asset. And so now you've got something that a, a multitude of dealers are, are more willing to buy because it's a, it's a known asset. And, and so known assets are, are, you know, have values that are uh, easier to determine. And, and so I suspect that, uh, that, that retailers that go to sell at some point that have businesses that are doing, you know, respectable sums of money uh, on their, on their e-commerce platform and are getting significant uh, traffic uh, going through their, their website and their inspiration sections on their website. Those are two things that people are willing to pay for. I hear what you're saying about supply and demand, but how does having a website exactly create more demand? Well, for one thing, m more demand is created by the fact that you can cast a wider net. And, and so when I sold my stores in the Bronx and, and here I'll, I'll do a little inside baseball, you know, if you don't know the New York metro area, I, I apologize, but the, basically the dealers that I was uh, eligible for lack of a better term, uh, to sell my business to, I, I could have sold it to anybody, but realistically, if you didn't already own a store somewhere between the tip of Manhattan and Yonkers, you were not going to be interested in my two stores in the Bronx because integrating them into your business would have been really difficult to do right? They were, they were sort of on the north end of the city. And so if you weren't in the city or Southern Westchester County already, 
uh, you were you were going to have a problem. And so I look at that and I think that that limited me basically to the dozen dealers or so that were in that sort of corridor uh, that I just described to you. But imagine if instead of having two stores with 100% of my business going through the front doors, imagine if I had two stores and a robust website with e-commerce and and that e-commerce was doing half of my business and I was getting dozens and hundreds of hits a day uh, on my regular website. For that kind of business, a retailer 50 miles away can buy me and, and they can find a way to make money. You don't have to be in the Bronx to manage that, uh, that business that's happening in the Bronx. Of course, I don't mean to imply that just any person who owns a, a candy store can buy a paint store and so everybody's a prospect, but for sure, Anybody who owns a paint store, anybody who owns a hardware store, anybody who's familiar with the genre uh, can can get in. And now you're not limited to just the people in your market. And mm-hmm. and and that opens you up tremendously. I think to myself, you know, where where we were uh, in New York City, and and you know, we were for for years, for 112 years, uh, we were a Benjamin Moore retailer, and so to a certain extent, I'm limited by. Uh, by that, uh, even though obviously it was good for my career, I don't mean to imply that, but uh, we're, we're limited by the fact that I really need to sell it to another Benjamin Moore retailer. But in New York, there are lots of hardware stores that, that uh, do very well, that are really successful, that don't sell Benjamin Moore paint. They sell either another brand or they don't sell paint at all. And, and I can't sell to them because they don't have that relationship that I have. And so they're likely not likely to get the line transferred over. But so in my case, if I could have just opened that up to every Benjamin Moore dealer within 50 miles of New York, that would have been instead of a dozen people to choose from, that would have been 300 people to choose from. And Mm -hmm. I bet you if I had 300 people to choose from, I would have had two instead of one who was interested. And I probably would have been able to get more money because of that. Yep. Maybe a lot more than two. That's huge. Right. Exactly. And so that's exactly what I'm saying is, is, and you know, we, we talk about this all the time when we're sitting on the patio, leverage is everything to me. Leverage is everything. It's all about the fulcrum and where you move it to. That's going to determine the outcome of every conversation of every negotiation that you'll ever have. And so if, if I have three people that are interested in my store, I'm in control of where I put the fulcrum. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it might not necessarily mean more money for me. It might mean a faster deal for me if that's what I'm looking for, if I'm in a hurry to get out. Not everybody gets out for money, right? Some people get out because they've just been, uh, you know, their father's been diagnosed with an illness and they want to spend the, you know, the last days with him. Or some people get out because they've just, uh, you know, they've got enough money and they don't need to maximize uh, every penny to get out. They just want to move on. Some people get out and they're planning on living on that money for the rest of their lives. So there's lots of different reasons that people sell their businesses. And so if you have more potential purchasers, prospective purchasers, you may find the one uh, that has, you know, goals that are more aligned with yours and you'll find an easier deal. And so if your thing is, listen, I don't need that extra 10 grand. I need to get out fast. Hey, if you find somebody who's looking for a deal, in your group of three or four 
people that you're talking to, you have a better opportunity to, to get out uh, and get out the way you want to get out uh, than you would otherwise if, if you only had one perspective, uh, you know, one perspective buyer. Mm-hmm. Well, you certainly laid out a lot of reasons to get on e-commerce. Is there anything else that you think you want to make sure that dealers know? You know, here's the thing for for me, you know my history so well, so much of what's important to me is my advocacy for for retailers, for paint dealers. And and this project was born out of that advocacy. And I understand that that it has transitioned now and that this is a commercial uh, proposition, but nonetheless, the advocacy part of me is is still there and it's still what's driving this. And so what I would say to dealers is if you don't agree that what your business needs is a feature-rich, content-rich website with e-commerce smoothly integrated in, I'm okay with that. I disagree with you, but I'm okay with that so long as you say one thing. We know we need e-commerce. We know we must do something. And if you agree that you must do something, then that's the important message here, right? Because in the end, my system is, is different than the others out there. My system is designed to grow your business. But separate from that, you must at the very least do something to hang on to the business that you have. The number of people that are moving as consumers, that are moving from a traditional brick and mortar purchasing to uh, some form of e-commerce or brick and mortar supported by e-commerce, the number of people that are doing that is very high. And the number of professional people, professional painters particularly, that are doing that is even higher than among DIY uh, customers. And that's a very big segment. The professional painter is a very big segment for your sort of typical independent retailer, your typical Benjamin Moore retailer. That is a, that's 60% of your business. And, and that segment, the professional painter and the professional paint user is really showing that they're interested in moving quickly to e-commerce. That consumer is making it very clear in their behavior. And so retailers are going to have to uh, move over to e-commerce. And, and like I said, if, it's, you know, if, it, if you're looking to grow, if you're looking to maximize your opportunity, then, then I believe that the revolution e-commerce is, is what, it, what will solve that for you what will bring that opportunity for you. But if all you're thinking is, listen, I just, I'm going to be doing this for another five years. I just want to hang on to what I've got. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that decision, but I do respect it. Get yourself on e-commerce in some other way. There's some people out there doing Shopify platforms for, you know, three, four, five, six thousand dollars. They're very small investments, very significant difference from what I'm doing. They're not frankly even comparable, but at least it gets you in the game. And it gives you the opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to hang on uh, to the business that you have that, that is looking to migrate, uh, you know, over to e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is the direction that every industry is moving. So 
Right. It's not just paint dealers, Buck. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's this this yeah. is this is everybody. This is this is everybody. This is a societal shift. And and it was happening anyway. It was happening quickly anyway. But COVID just lit the match, you know? Yep. And and, and and so now unfortunately I, I think for, for retailers, un, unfortunately this this change is here. It's going to continue like this. The rate of acceleration is going to stay on, on this sort of path. And and I think that retailers are, are are gonna have to jump in and and jump in if if they're looking at this as an opportunity then they need to jump in with a robust system like the revolution. And if they're just looking at this as I want to make sure to hang on to what I've got, then at the very least they need to get in with something a little bit smaller. Uh, so at least they can meet some of their customers where they are. Mm-hmm. Yep. I couldn't agree more. Buck, what can I say? This was really fun and, and I had a really great time and I hope you did too. I know you were a little nervous. I know you didn't want to get on here with your podge, but but it, it went all right, right? It went all right. Telling the pizza story made it all worth it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, Buck. So let's let's wrap it up here to my amazing, amazing daughter, Miranda Lipton. Thank you so much, baby, for being on my podcast with me. It was really a lot of fun. It was. I had a great time. All righty. And, and, and so we'll be back in uh, two weeks with another episode. And thanks very much for listening. So that's our episode for today. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Mark My Words podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lipton. And you can hear this podcast. You can like, subscribe, review this podcast at the Apple Podcast Store, SoundCloud, Blueberry, or on Stitcher.